Colossians chapter number three. Colossians chapter three. Again, it's so good to be back with you. I think Florida is, don't tell the others, but probably our favorite state to be in. Uh, we've spent something like 45-ish days in Florida this year. And uh, what bothers if we get to come back? You know, y'all enjoying this fall weather down here, you know? I mean, it went from being 90 to 88. And uh, so uh, we're so glad to be with you. I do appreciate your pastor. Let me say that. And I realize he may be listening this morning. I appreciate your pastor so dearly. He was without any doubt <clears throat> one of my favorite uh, teachers in Bible college. Just a gifted teacher, isn't he? And amazing how he can open the Word of God. Somehow I survived Greek class with him. And uh, no, he, he did a wonderful job of even making that interesting. Just did wonderful. And you're blessed, church. I tell you, you are to have such a, a wonderful pastor and have really enjoyed getting to know uh, Brother Godby and his wife. Just sweet folks, aren't they? And enjoy serving Jesus. And, and so we just, it's a, gr it's a great church here, isn't it? The Lord's just doing some wonderful things. And it's an exciting place to be. I think church ought to be an exciting place to be. And it, your church certainly is. And so we're so grateful to be back with you. Colossians chapter number 3. Excited to share a message with you tonight uh, that the Lord's had on my heart for several weeks here. Just burdened about our generation and how to reach them. And so I'm excited to preach to you on that tonight, Lord willing. But look at Colossians chapter 3 with me, church. And notice verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. I'd like to stop for just a moment and say what Paul has just said is if you're saved. Okay? You understand this morning that all of us are born dead spiritually. We're dead in our sins. And Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You remember that? And so when we get saved, the Bible says that we go from dead to alive spiritually. We're risen with Christ. And so what Paul has said is, if you're saved, listen up. I'm going to talk to you. Now, if you're not saved, can I say this morning that we're going to tell you how to be saved before you leave. But if you are saved, these scriptures are for us. So notice verse 1. If he then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Notice verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in, in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory, mortified, killed, would be the word we would say, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the love of God this morning. Lord, truly, as we sang, uh, it is in Christ alone that our hope is found. And we thank you that we do have hope this morning through the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I understand that there was a wonderful Sunday here last week with souls saved and visitors and, and just good numbers, and we thank you for that. But Lord, we want to continue going forward. We don't want to just sit on what you've done in the past, Lord. We want to continue to hear from you. I do pray, Father, if there's one that's in the house this morning that's not saved and they're not sure that they'll spend eternity in heaven, that they would listen and that as your word is preached, the Holy Spirit would convict them and they, they would receive your gift of salvation today. And I pray, Lord, as believers, that you'd help us to listen with open ears and open hearts. Father, you've given us a chance in this life to make a difference and teach us this morning through your word how we can do that. God, help us not to waste the moments, the years, the days that you've given us but help us to invest them in eternity. Father, we love you. Do your work in our hearts, and we'll thank you for it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, church, life goes by really quickly, doesn't it? It's often shorter than we think it is. The first funeral that I preached was for a 13-year-old teenager in our youth group. You know, we often think that we live 70 and 80 and maybe 100 years, 120, but life doesn't always work that way, does it? You know, one of the reasons I think that life seems so quick or it goes by so quickly is because it's constantly changing, isn't it? You think you got it figured out and then it changes on you again. 
There's one man, he said, he thought there were seven stages in a man's life. He said the first stage is spills. We're in that stage in our house right now. You know, it's like a day doesn't go by that we don't spill something. If it's not the kids, it's one of us. So we're just always spilling. He said the next stage is drills. You know, as you're a kid, you, you go through the motions, you learn how to obey. And then there's thrills. Finally, there are bills. And then there's ills, pills, and wills. And you know, I thought that's pretty good. It's kind of seven stages of me. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're in the will stage, okay? I don't know where you're at this morning. But the point being, life is short. It goes by very quickly. Church, I want to tell you that at some point in your life, you make a decision, you answer a question that all of us have to answer. And you may not answer this question on a piece of paper. Don't put it on a test or something like that. But in your heart, all of us answer this question. It greatly affects our life. And that question would be, what am I living for? What am I living for? In the sports realm, we maybe say, what are you playing for? A high school athlete may play for a scholarship, right? You want to get a scholarship to go play ball somewhere. A college athlete may play to reach the next level, become a professional athlete. professional athlete would play for money, play for a contract, play for a championship. Well, in life, what are you living for? And I want to tell you this, church. What you live for determines how you live. It really does. It greatly impacts your life. And if you live for pleasure, then you'll do all you can to experience the most pleasure while you live life. If you live for money, you do all you can to, uh, to, to, to get the most money, to be the most successful that you can. If, if you live for ease, you want a life of ease, then you do all you can to make your life easy. You see, in life, if you live for the moment, it lasts a moment. Church, I want to tell you, many of the things that we give the most attention to, and I say we, okay? We give the most attention to, and they're the most important things to us, and we put priorities on. Many of those things are extremely temporary. And in fact, many of those things were oftentimes consumed with things that don't last for eternity. In fact, those things in eternity don't even matter. I was telling the church this morning, I'm a football fan. I don't know if any of you guys are, and, and I'm an Alabama fan. You can hate me for it, okay, but we probably beat your team, and that's probably why you hate me, all right? So you just have to forgive me. I'm a football fan. Yesterday, we're driving down, and guess what? Alabama was playing, so I, I put the AirPod in. I, I couldn't quite watch the game and watch the road, you know, but I could at least listen to what was going on. I, I like football, but guess what? In all of eternity, football really doesn't matter. It's, it's not important. I want to tell you, church, this morning, I'd like to tell you how to live a life that counts. I want my life to count, don't you? I want to live a life that matters. I want to live a life that when I'm gone, that, 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 that it lives on past me. And, and the difference that I made matters for all of eternity. How do you do that? How do you do that? I want to tell you, church, you do that by living for eternity. There was a great preacher in olden days. His name was Dr. Thomas Chalmerson. Dr. Thomas was well-respected. Well he was well-known in churches. And one day he was in a service. He wasn't preaching. He was just listening. And in that service, a young man stood up and he began reading from a piece of paper all kinds of statements that were just blasphemous against God. Can you imagine how that would shake this service up this morning? You know, and Everybody was listening and they're watching, they're wondering what's going on. He was just reading all these statements that were against God. And, and when he got done, they were waiting and listening and he said, I want you to know, audience, that the statements that I just, wrote, I just read to you were written by Dr. Thomas Chalmers. Everybody was shocked. They waited, and finally Dr. Thomas, he was a few rows back, and he stood up, he addressed the audience, he said, Church, he said, I want you to know it's true. He said, I wrote those words, but when I wrote those words, there were two things in my life that I had not considered, and those two things, when I finally came to grasp with them, changed my life. 
They changed the way I lived my life. They, they changed the outlook of my life. He said the two things that I had not considered when I wrote those words were the littleness of time and the greatness of eternity. Church, this morning, for a few minutes, I want you to think about eternity. Because it changes everything. Uh, several summers ago, we were having our vacation Bible school in our church, and uh, we were picking a theme. And every year we have a theme for our teen program. And it's, it's things like, you know, consider the cross and take the next step, you know, those types of things. And the theme that we picked for this year was live for eternity. We got wristbands, you know, and we put it up on the wall and all those things. And I'll be honest, church, it was a great week. The Lord did some things. But after that week, the Lord kept that theme in my heart and in my life and, and just began working on me about, Ethan, live your life for eternity. And church, I want to I encourage you this morning that if you want your life to count for, for, for something more than just this, just the temporary, just it dies when you die, you must live for eternity. And I want to show you from the Word of God how you can do that this morning, Okay. Notice, first of all, if you want to live a life that counts, you want to live a life that is lived for eternity, you must have eternal aim. Eternal aim. In other words, you must look for eternal things. Notice verse 1. If you got your Bible there in Colossians chapter 3, it's exactly what Paul said. Notice verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, so if you're saved, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. The word seek means to try to find. You ever lost something? My wife this morning, she couldn't find her Apple Watch. I still don't know if she's found it, to be honest. And I can tell you, there'll be some seeking for it. You ever lost your child for just a few moments, you know? And there is some serious seeking, you know? You're running around Walmart. The world shuts down. You're trying to find. Well, church, can I tell you this? That if you do not seek things that are eternal, if you do not seek to live for things that are eternal, you won't by accident do it. You ever heard the phrase, he who aims at nothing hits it every time? is that annoying? My uh, pastor used to be my uh, science teacher, was my basketball coach. He had this poster in his room, and it said, you always miss 100% of the shots you do not take. And I thought, boy, some genius came up with that, right? I mean, somebody got paid to put that on a poster and put it on the wall. But you know, it's true. And I just tell you, church, if you do not aim your life towards eternal things, you will not live for them. So for just a few moments this morning, I want us to look for things that are eternal. Can we be practical this morning, Okay. Let's be practical. What things in life are eternal? Well, I want to give you three this morning, and these three things are all in the room. Isn't that cool? Three things. As we're aiming for eternity, we're aiming to live for eternity, what things can we find that are eternal? Number one, God is eternal, and aren't you thankful for that? We have an eternal God this morning, church. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, and verse 27 says this, the eternal God is thy refuge. How about that for a hiding place? The eternal God. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. In fact, interesting enough, church, that is the only verse in the Bible where the actual word eternity is found. Obviously, the word eternal and other references to eternal things are found, but that's the only place in the Bible you find the actual word eternity. And isn't it interesting? To me, it's kind of like God saved it and used it as eternity is the place that God lives. I'm telling you, we just have a great God this morning. He just is. He always was, and He is, and He always will be. Now, that messes with my mind, all right? Any of you else try to figure that out? I mean, you just can't wrap your mind around it, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful I have a God I can't understand everything about. I'm thankful I have a God that's more powerful and greater than I am, because I know I'm pretty weak. I'm just telling you this word. We have an eternal God. You know, our God was before COVID. Our God was before government problems. Our God was before all those things. And guess what? He'll be after all those things too. God is eternal. You know what else is eternal? A second thing. As we look for things that are eternal, we're aiming for them. 
we're setting our sights on them. Notice not only is God eternal, but God's word is eternal. And aren't we thankful for that? Boy, this book, I tell you, church, I'm thankful more and more for the word of God. If I didn't have the word of God, there'd be no point in me being here this morning. I don't have anything to offer you to change your life. I'm nothing special. I don't have any advice to give you that can, can, can change your marriage or change your home or change your life. But I'm thankful this book right here does. It's eternal. This is no just science book or history book or some fiction book. This is the very words of God this morning. And they are eternal words. Psalm chapter 119, verses 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. 1 Peter 1, verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is, word, this is, the, word which by, uh, this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Church, I'm just thankful this is eternal. Science changes, doesn't it? History is being written, but this book is settled. We can go to it, and it doesn't change, and we don't have to fix it. It's eternal. I'm thankful for that this morning. Can I give you a third thing that's eternal? It's in the room this morning. As we're aiming for things that are eternal, God is eternal, God's word is eternal, but the souls of men are eternal. Isn't it something to think about that everybody in here has a soul that will spend eternity somewhere? Luke chapter 16 tells us about two men that died. One was a beggar, one was a very rich man. And when those two men died, they went to two places, the only two options. I'm thankful this morning that those that die with Jesus Christ as their personal Savior go to heaven. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? I tell you, I'm thankful for the promise of heaven. John chapter 10 verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My granddad has been a pastor He's pastor emeritus now. We really joke, we don't really know what that means, you know, but that's what he is. And he pastored our church for over 40 years. And one of the things my granddad would say again and again and again, and I struggle with, I didn't really understand. He would say, there's no death to the Christian. There's no death to the Christian. I don't know the dozens of funerals that he's preached, you know. But he would say, there's no death to the Christian. I thought, well, I don't know about that, Pop, because, you know, I've seen a lot of funerals of Christians. And what he meant by that is the Bible says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You realize that the moment you take your last breath here on earth, you go immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Everlasting life is not something you're waiting to start. Aren't you thankful for that? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not attain it or get it one day, but you have it. Aren't you thankful for that today? Church, I'm just telling you, the worst thing that can happen to you and I today, if we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, is we die and go to heaven. Amen. What a life! I'm telling you. I hate to say the worst thing. I mean, that just sounds bad, doesn't it? But really, truly, honestly, if you have Jesus Christ, I heard one preacher, he said, you can't threaten me with heaven. In other words, you threaten to take my life, you, you threaten to persecute. What is that threat to a Christian? You're threatening me with heaven? It's a lot better than here. A few weeks ago, we had a man in our church die of COVID, and it just happened to be on that, on that Sunday that I was preaching in our home church. My pastor may have had COVID. It wasn't official or decided, and so he had me preach at our home church. i never forget that a lady, she sat on, I think the, we have two sides in our church, and she sat on like the second row. It's where she's always sat. Her husband just passed away. And church, I'm telling you, the peace, the joy that was in her life that day, I, there's no other way than, than, to explain it. And she understood that day her husband was a lot better off than he had been in a long time. Because he was with Jesus. Church, can I tell you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to get that settled today. You need to know. Because you're going to spend eternity somewhere. And if you, don't, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you don't experience his forgiveness and his salvation, and you die in your sins, and the Bible says you'll be separated from him for all of eternity in a place called hell. 
But church, I don't enjoy preaching on hell. There's little ones in the room this morning. I'll be careful what I say about it, but did you know that for every one time Jesus talked about heaven, he talked ten times about hell. It's a real place. And God didn't create hell for people. The Bible says it was created for devil and his angels. It was created for sin. Isn't it amazing that we have a God that although we failed and we've made sinful decisions, he made a place where that sin and that sorrow and the consequences could be done away with for all of eternity. But if you die without Jesus Christ and you die in your sin, you cannot go to heaven. He cannot allow that. A just God can't do that. I, several weeks ago, my great uncle was in a, a veteran's home. And he's been struggling. He has Alzheimer's. He's been really struggling, just going down. And the Lord put on my heart, you need to go visit him. My Uncle Farrell doesn't know Jesus. He's not saved. My grandmother's prayed for him for decades. She's witnessed to him many, many times. In fact, my granddad told me of a service. He remembered my great-uncle Farrell was in, and he was under the Holy Spirit's conviction, and he had an opportunity to go to be saved, but he didn't. He told God no that day. Several weeks ago, God put in my heart. He said, you need to go talk to Uncle Farrell. You need to go see him. You need to go witness to him. And I'm thankful by God's grace he helped me to do that. It was about an hour, hour and a half drive to where he was, and so I drove down and we talked for a while, just small talk, and finally I told Uncle Farrell, I said, Uncle Farrell, I said, I want you to go to heaven someday. And I know I'm going to go there, and I want you to know that. Uncle Farrell, I love you. I care about you. I want you to know that. And best I could, I went through the gospel, just telling about how Jesus loved him and, and how he would save him if he would turn to him, you know, just went through the gospel. And I got done with that conversation. My Uncle Farrell just turned the subject, didn't want anything to do with it. A few weeks ago, my Uncle Farrell passed away. And I don't know... Maybe something could have changed in those last weeks, but my fear is that he's in hell today. Church, can I just tell you, I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but your soul is going to live somewhere forever. And none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, could I plead with you today to get that settled? I'm so thankful for the day that I did that. This church does a lot to see people saved. Your pastor, he loves you. He wants you to see people saved. Can I encourage you that not only do you have a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere, but your family has a soul that'll spend eternity. Your neighbor, the person at the drive-thru, they got your order wrong, okay? They have a soul. We're aiming for eternal things this morning, church. So what have we found as we look for things that are eternal? We found God. We found God's word, and we found souls that are eternal. Now notice, if you're going to live for eternity, there's a second ingredient that you must have. Not only must you have eternal aim, that is, we look for things that are eternal, but you must have eternal affections, and that is that we love things that are eternal. Notice verse 2, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. In other words, we're not just to look for God and God's word and souls, but we're to love those things. Church, this is one of the reasons that God told us not to love the world. You know those scriptures, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And what are those things? They're the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Why did God say don't love those things? Well, he explains. He goes on and he says this, for all that is in the world passes away. It doesn't last. You know, church, I, I know we need money I know we need a jobs and we need those things. All those things are important, but those things don't last, do they? And so while some of those things are very necessary, aren't they? I mean, I'd have money to get down here. I'd have money to feed those 300 youngins. You know what I mean? I'd have those things. While those things are important and they're necessary, they're not things I should put my heart on. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what things I'm to love most in life? I am to love God. I am to love God's word. I am to love the soul's of men. Church, can I tell you this? There is a difference between knowing and loving. 
And oftentimes I'm afraid, especially it's easy when we get in the routine of coming to church and, and, and doing the religious thing, if I can put it that way, that we know God, we know His Word, and we even know that people are lost, but we don't love Him. There was a diamond seller who illustrated this. He, uh, he was selling a diamond, and it was a rare diamond, a very precious uh, gem. And so there was a man who came in from out of town. He had heard about this diamond, and he had come in to see it, to see if he wanted to buy it. He walked in the store, and one of the salesmen walked up, and he began presenting the diamond. You know, the cut and the clarity and all those things that you ladies know really well, okay? And he was talking about the diamond. Just a few moments as he was describing this diamond, the man who had come in to buy it stood up, and he began to walk out of the door without buying the diamond. The owner of the store walked up to him and he pleaded. He said, sir, he said, could you wait just a minute? Could you sit down, give me just a few minutes and let me talk to you about this diamond? And the man said, fine. He said, you got one more chance. So he sat down and the owner of the store, the, the owner of this diamond, in fact, began to talk about this diamond, how he admired it, how precious it was, how much he loved it, and, and how rare it was. And in just a few moments, the man was signing the papers to buy the diamond. Before he left, he said, what happened? He said, can you explain to me how your salesman was walking me through all these details of the diamond and I didn't care for it, and then all of a sudden you started talking about how you loved it, you cared for it, and I was signing the papers. He said, can you tell me what happened? The owner of the store, the owner of the diamond, he said, sir, he said, my salesman is a very knowledgeable man, and because he is, I pay him a good deal of money. He knows more about diamonds than I personally do. But had my, my, this salesman of mine, if he had what I had, I would pay him double. He said this, he said, my salesman knows diamonds, but I love diamonds. I'm just going to tell you, church, nobody in the room walked in probably this morning. I, I doubt anybody walked in and you didn't know that God was eternal. And you didn't know that God's word was eternal. And you didn't know that your soul was eternal. Maybe there's someone in the room, but I would dare say probably most of us, you walked in, you already knew that. You could have told me that. You know, the problem is not that we, we don't know it. The problem is we struggle to love those things. That lawyer comes to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? What's the greatest commandment? He's going to put him on the spot. He's going to trick him. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus didn't say, thou shalt know the Lord thy God. Thou shalt study thy Bible really hard and know, know all the answers. It's not what he said, did he? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. There's a difference between knowing and between loving. How do you know what you love? I'll give you four thoughts about that. Just something to challenge you, something to think about. Do you know what you love by how you spend your time? You know, you have time for things that are important for you. And sometimes we can say, well, I don't have time for church. I don't, I don't have time to get in God's Word. I don't have time to pray. I, my life's just so busy in church. I'm just telling you, this is what we're saying. Those things are not that important to me. Because you have time for what's important to you. How many of us have time to sleep? <laughs> How many of us have time for coffee, right? But time for a ball game. We have time for work. Why? Those things are important to us. And when we say, I don't have time for God. I don't have time for God's Word. I don't have time to invest in, in lost people. What we're saying is, I don't love those things. They're not that important to me. You can know what you love by where you spend your time. Let me give you a second thought. You can know what you love by examining where, where you spend your treasure. I told you just a minute ago, Jesus said it, not me. Where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. I think a third thought here, you can know what you love by examining which talents you put the most emphasis on. You know, I, I've coached basketball for several years. It'll be the first year I haven't coached basketball because we're on the road. I thank God for that. And it's been a wonderful opportunity. We've seen kids saved on our ball team, and, and God's just blessed us. And, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to invest in those young men and all those things. But one thing I, I tell those boys, we work hard. We practice hard. I push our guys. We run. You know, they love that. 
we, we run, you know. We, we do quarters, what we call quarters. We run six minutes, and we do lunges and stairs and all those things. Six minutes. Boys, let's go six minutes. You know, they love that. I mean, and so I pushed them hard. But one of the things I tell those boys, I said, listen, guys, we want to work hard in basketball. We want to push hard. But here's what you got to know. Basketball is not going to last forever. And the, the attention that you give to basketball, you ought to give so much more attention to your walk with God, to what you do for God, because it's not going to last forever. Don't love basketball. Love Jesus Christ. Put your love there church what talents did you put the most emphasis on are your spiritual gifts are your opportunities to serve the body of christ and to serve serve the church are those the things that you put emphasis on are those the things that are priorities in your life notice a fourth way i think you can tell by what you love and that is by examining how how important your testimony is to you can i tell you this if you love god and you love god's word and you love lost people then what this world sees by the way you live your life is important to you what lost people think of you and, and the way that you live your life is important because you want them to see your life and see Jesus. And your testimony, the way you live your life, it is important because it tells others about your God. We're ambassadors for Christ. So my question this morning, if you want to live for eternity, do you love eternal things? Do you love God? Do you love his word? Do you love lost people? You know, lost people can be hard to love sometimes, can't they? <laughs> I mean, they can't be. But you know what? So can we. And if Jesus loves them, then we ought to. Love, 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 love things that are eternal. Notice a third ingredient. You want to live for eternity. You want to live a life that counts. You must have eternal aim. Look for things that are eternal. You must have eternal uh, uh, affections in your life. Love eternal things. Notice thirdly, you must have eternal actions in your life. Live for eternal things. I guess this is practical, but let me say it. Eternal actions have to do with things that are eternal. Okay? And so let me, let me I, I, I'm a practical person, all right? I like cookies on the bottom shelf because I like to eat cookies, okay? And so let me, for a moment, what are, what are things I could do this week? What are things you could do this week as a Christian, no matter what walk of life you're in, that are eternal? Notice three things with me. Number one, you can walk with God. You realize this morning that all of us have an opportunity to walk with a holy, eternal God. Isn't that cool? I got up this morning and I talked to God about you. I talked to God about this service. I taught to God about Martin County Baptist Church right down the road. I taught to God about New Life Baptist Church, our home church. I taught to God this morning. I walked with him. Church, you realize we're going to be doing that for all of eternity. And God is eternity, eternal and his words are eternal. And even he keeps our prayers. It's interesting to me. The Bible says that he stores up our prayers. Something to think about. And so this week, tomorrow morning, if you want to do something eternal, get a, get a Bible and open it up on your phone or, or, or a physical copy and walk with God. Pray to him, talk to him. That's eternal. It matters. You realize, church, that God created the first two people, Adam and Eve, and what did he do with them? He walked with them. Leviticus, God told his people this, Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 12, and I will walk among you. Micah, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Guys, Christianity is about a personal relationship. This is not religion. It's relationship. Can you imagine with me if I told my wife, I said, Beth, I said, hey, it's going to be a busy week, and so uh, Wednesday I'll have about 15, 20 minutes to talk to you, and then uh, next Sunday about half an hour, and besides that, just don't expect to hear from me. Now, I know my wife, and I know uh, that because I like to live, that would not be a good idea, okay? And uh, that's just not going to fly. Why? Relationships are built by communication. Church, can I tell you, how is it that we think we can come to church on Sunday and maybe spend 30 minutes, 
maybe Sunday night, and then on Wednesday night, and that's the only time we have communion or fellowship or walk with God and think that we have a good relationship. You don't. That's not a good relationship. God would come with Adam and Eve and he would walk daily. That was his plan. And then sin messed that up. But aren't you thankful through Jesus Christ we've been brought near. We've been brought nigh. And we can have that personal relationship. Hey, get up tomorrow. I'll tell you how to start a Monday. Do you dread Mondays? You know, Another work week. I'll tell you how to get your week off started. Right? Get in God's word. Pray. God, I want to walk with you today. That's eternal. Notice the second thing you can do that's eternal this week. Talking about living for eternal, making a difference. Not only can you walk with God, you can work for God. Isn't that good? The Bible says that we have been given liberty, and that liberty is not so we can have an occasion to the flesh or to sin, but that liberty is so that we can serve one another. Aren't you thankful as the body of Christ that the church is not bound inside these walls? Well, the church is to be taken outside of these walls. Church is not a service. Church is not a service. We're the body of Christ. We, We take what God does in here and take it to a world who needs it. And by love, serve one another. Well, Jesus' life, I'm thankful that he spent time teaching. I'm thankful that he he spent time preaching and doing those things, but you know the majority of his life was spent time serving, serving the sick, serving the poor, eating with the sinners and publicans. Jesus' life was filled with serving wine. He was living for eternity. He was doing things that last. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we're not saved by works. Aren't you thankful you don't have to earn your salvation? By grace are you saved through faith and then not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. But church, sometimes we forget the very next verse. Verse 10. And it tells us this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. In other words, you don't work. You don't serve the Lord and give and and minister so you can earn your salvation. You do it because of your salvation. Listen, I want to serve Jesus. Nobody makes us travel. Nobody, I mean, we, we put, you know, three kids inside of a 40-foot house, you know, and travel lots of miles. Most folks would call us insane, you know, is what that would be. No, we want to do that. It's the joy of our life to do that. I, don't, I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing this morning. Why? Jesus has saved me. He's changed my life, and I want to serve him, and I'm investing in eternity. Serve the Lord with gladness. Titus chapter 3, verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Church, get busy serving Jesus this week. Again, it doesn't have to be inside of these walls. There's plenty of opportunities to do that. I think you should do that. But serve Jesus outside of these walls. Serve your neighbor. Serve your coworker. Serve your wife. Serve your husband. Work for God this week. God didn't save us to sit, soak sour, and spoil. God saved us to serve. And you want to live for eternity? You want to do something that matters? Serve Jesus this week. And let me give you one more thought. It's the third thing. How do you have eternal actions? We're talking about living for eternity this week. You can walk with God. You can work for God. But thirdly, you could win lost souls. The Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. Dr. George Truett was a great Christian man, great minister, and he said this, he said, bringing one soul to Jesus is the highest achievement possible to human life. You know, we set goals, don't we? I was listening to a podcast yesterday about setting goals for our toddlers. Boy, that's scary, right? Listen, listen, listen. We set goals. We set financial goals. We set retirement goals. We, we set up physical goals. We set, we set those goals. Can I encourage you to have a goal this week, this year? I want to win somebody to Jesus. I want to win somebody. Give me one person, God. 
Just one person. Give, give me somebody that I can win to Jesus. We have a man in our church. To be honest, he's not even a member of our church for certain reasons. God got a hold of his life. He used to work with our pastor. and God got a hold of his life. He's an older man. And I can tell you, although he's not a member of our church, nobody, nobody, nobody brings more people to, to church than that man does. And one of the conversations I've had with him again and again and again is, in his heart, he just wants to have an impact on somebody going to heaven. Just, that's just what he wants. Just give me one. Just give me somebody I could win to Jesus. Dr. Tory said this, the great evangelist, my one ambition in life is to win as many souls as I possibly can is the most worthwhile thing in life. You may be here and you say, you know what, I don't speak well. That's what Moses said. You may be here and say, I don't know much. Can I just be honest? I have a lot of questions too. I'll never forget I was in Pasadena, California. It's where the Rose Bowl happens, right? It's a long way away. I was in Pasadena, California. I happened to be in Bible colleges at West Coast. And so here I am. This is funny. I'm, in a, I'm from Odenville, Alabama, a little podunk town, right? I'm going to school in Lancaster, California. I'm in Pasadena, and I happen to be on Michigan Street in California. I mean, it's like a bad joke, you know? I mean, it's just crazy. We were knocking on doors. We were trying to start a Bible study. At that time, I think Pasadena had about 60-something thousand people. And then I know of there wasn't a really good church. Not a lot of gospel representation. So we were trying to start a Bible study. We were knocking on doors, just meeting people. Hey, listen, we're trying to start a Bible study, and here's some information about how you can know Jesus, and do you know you're going to go to heaven? And to be honest, not much was happening. You ever felt that way, like you're serving God and your tires are just spinning? And nothing was happening. And so I came to the last house on Michigan Street, Pasadena, California. The, uh, the, uh, the uh, highway is over here. I knocked on the door. A man named Danny came to the door. Danny was nice. You're thankful for that in California, you know what I mean? And, and uh, Danny was real nice to me, and we struck up a conversation. I said, Danny, this is who we are. So I started a Bible study. I said, Danny, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? And Danny said, no. I said, well, Danny, I said, I got a Bible here. Could, could I take a few minutes and just show you how you could know that if you died, you're going to go to heaven? And Danny said, sure. Church, I'm telling you, I was like, you know, probably freshman, sophomore in college. I probably had more questions than answers, you know. But I did know what God did in my life, and I did know some scriptures. So I said, Danny, I said, you're a sinner? Like we all are. Because you're a sinner, you can't go to heaven. The Bible says the wages of your sin is death. But the good news is, Danny, God loves you. God loved you, Danny. He loved me and he died for you and he rose again. And Danny, if you want to be saved, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus. He'll save you right now. I said, Danny, would you want to do that? And Danny said, yes. He prayed to be saved. I remember walking away that day. I walked away from that house. And obviously God did something in Danny's life, right? He got saved. Praise God for that. But church, I want to tell you that God did something in a young college student's heart that day too. Because God showed me that day, Ethan, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to have a big church to stand behind. You don't have to have it all together. If you'll just be obedient to me, if you'll just give the gospel out, if you'll just invite and pray and all those things, I'll do the work. I'll save people. I'll use you. I remember another lady. In Pasadena, her name was Alma, and we met her, and man, she, she was a sweet lady, and, and she had two, two little kids, and I don't know the story about her husband, if he was there or not, but two little kids, and we would talk to Alma about Jesus, and time after time again, she said, no, I'm not ready to be saved. And we go back, hey, Alma, how are you? How are the kids doing? Alma, you want to be saved? No. I mean, I don't know how many times we went, went, to, went to her house, and we just kept going and kept going and kept going, and finally, I remember the day. On that particular night, we happened to have, usually it was just us ugly guys, you know, maybe we were intimidated, but that day we had at least one, one, one girl with us, maybe a couple ladies, and that, that night, I'll never forget, Alma, for whatever reason, her life had come to the point that she got saved that day. Church, can I just tell you, God can use you. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. 
You don't have to have been saved for 20 years for God to use you. In fact, I love the story of Andrew. Our youngest son's name's Andrew, and I think he's one of my favorite disciples. Andrew meets Jesus. He's one of John's disciples, and he meets Jesus, and immediately, you know what he does? He goes and gets Peter. And aren't we thankful he did? He goes and gets Peter. He says, Peter, come find him. We found him. The Lamb of God, come, come see him. You know, you may have been saved just a few weeks. Maybe this year you got to say, go find somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Bring him to church. Introducing the pastor, pastor, this is so-and-so. They don't know Jesus. Could you tell them about him? Man, have a part this week. Have a part this week in seeing somebody get saved. Invite somebody to church. Post it on your social media. Do whatever you can to get the gospel out. Church, you want to live a life that counts. You must aim for eternal things. You must love eternal things, have eternal affections. You must have eternal actions. But notice one more thought, and we're done this morning. I'll be honest, this is not my favorite point. But I don't think I'd be true to the Bible if I didn't tell you this morning. Notice verse number 5. We keep Scripture in its context. And notice the context of what Paul says. After he just said, live for eternity, set your affection on things above. He told him in verse 4, you're going to see God. You're going to be glorified. But notice verse number 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he gives us a list. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Church, can I tell you, if you want to live for eternity... There must be earthly abstaining in your life. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and hold to the other, or he will. Uh, you, you can't do it. God says you're either going to hate one or you're going to love the other. You, you can't serve two masters in church. Here's what I know. The thing that often keeps us from fully committing and living for eternity and making a difference are the things of this world. Things that we hold on to, even sins. I mean, you read that list, there's sexual sin, there's idolatry, there's those things. Church, you live a life of sin, you live a life of carnality, and you cannot live a life that counts for eternity. It just doesn't work. And can I encourage you with this this morning? Number one, you are dead to the penalty of sin. Aren't you thankful? Romans chapter 6 tells us that sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. Thank God we can have victory. Aren't you thankful? We don't have to pay for our sins. Jesus did that on the cross. And, and at his payment, it, it was enough. It sufficed. But while we're dead to the penalty of sin, we often choose to be dead to the power of sin in our life. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Aren't you thankful? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Church, every single day in our life, we must choose to deny ourselves and deny our sins so that we can live for Jesus and live for eternity. I encourage you to read Romans chapter 6, a powerful chapter. So we want to live a life that counts. We want to live for eternity. How do you do it? Well, you've got to aim for it. You've got to aim for it. Secondly, you've got to love it. You've got to love God. You've got to love God's Word. Maybe today you've been challenged and you just realize, hey, listen, I'm loving the things of the world, and I don't love God the way I should. I don't love His Word the way I should. I don't love lost souls. You've got to live it out. You've got to put boots on the ground. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only. You gotta walk with God this week. You gotta find some way to serve Him. You gotta find somebody to win, somebody to tell about Jesus, somebody to pray for, somebody to invite to church, somebody to give a tract to. You gotta abstain from earthly things. I'll give you an illustration. We'll be done this morning. You probably haven't heard of him. I, I certainly hadn't until I heard his story. But Arthur Stacy lived in Sydney, Australia. Now, Arthur Stacy was a drunkard, he gave his life to alcohol. He worked to make money to get drunk, to work to make money to get drunk. His life was just, it was a mess. And one day in Sydney, Australia, Arthur Stacy happened to stumble into a service. He heard the gospel that God loves everyone. Aren't you thankful for that? And no matter where you've been, God can save you. He can forgive you. 
When the invitation was given, instead of coming to the front of the church, Arthur Stacy stumbled out the back of the church. He went to a park. He started talking to God, and he said, God, I don't know if you'll take drunkards, but if you will, you can have them. Gave his life to God. He got saved. God changed his life. One day, Arthur Stacy was in a service, and it was a men's meeting, and a preacher was preaching on eternity. He said that word again and again and again, and the word just kind of gripped him. Eternity. Arthur Stacy went out of the service again. He had a piece of chalk in his pocket from a job that he'd been doing. He bent down and he wrote the word eternity on the ground. He got back up and he was looking at it. He was amazed. Arthur Stacy wasn't an educated man. In fact, they said he could barely write his own name. But he had written this word eternity and it was beautiful. He went home that night. He was thinking about it. Eternity. Eternity. He wanted to make a difference in eternity. He wanted to live for eternity. He wanted his life to count. And so he began doing something kind of strange. He would wake up very early every morning in Sydney, Australia, and he would walk all over the city and on the sidewalks and on the streets. He would bend down and he would write the word eternity. He would go a little further and he would bend down and he would write the word eternity. And then he'd be done before anybody knew who he was. All throughout their day as the people of Sydney, Australia were walking, maybe reading a newspaper, going from one job to the other, and, and they, they would look down and they would see that word eternity and they would start thinking about it. The newspaper started reporting. They called him Mr. Eternity. Nobody knew who it was. And one day Arthur was bending down. He was writing the word Eternity. And Arthur's pastor happened to come around and, and saw him. He came up to him. He approached him. He said, Arthur, he said, are you kidding me? He was shocked. He said, are you Mr. Eternity? Arthur was kind of embarrassed, you know. And he said, Pastor, he said, yes. He said this. He said, Pastor, he said, I just wanted my life to count. He said, I didn't have much. Couldn't preach, couldn't sing, do any of those things. But he said this, church, he saw, Pastor, I thought maybe my life would count for something if I could get others to think about eternity. In Sydney, Australia today, in Sydney Square, one of the parks there in that square, engraved on the ground permanently is the word eternity. In the year 2000, Y2K, everybody's prepping, right? The world's going to end. In Sydney, Australia, on one of the bridges, they lit up one word. It's the word eternity. And I don't know that all that exactly goes back to Arthur Stacy, but I can't help but think perhaps many, much of it does. Here's a man who, he didn't have much to give God. He, he, he couldn't do some things that maybe some of us in the room could do, but he could get people to think about eternity. God would change their lives. Church, can I... Just encourage, you're going to go from this place and you won't remember the points and remember the outline and, and the illustrations and many of those things. But can I encourage you to remember one word, the word eternity. God has given you a chance. God has given us a chance. Whether you got 20 years left or 30 years left or 5 years left or months left or maybe many of us 50 or 60 years left. It's just a short time. It'll be gone before you know it. It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. But in that time, God has given us a chance to make a difference in eternity. So don't waste it. Don't live it for things that don't matter and don't last. Invest your life. Live it for eternity. But you got to aim for it. you got to love those things. you got to live out those things. you got to abstain from earthly things. Church, I'm going to challenge you. Live for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, I'm challenged by this thought. Lord, the truth be told, as we mentioned, none of us know what's on tomorrow. 
Many times I've sat in a funeral, Lord, someone there that passed away, and I've thought, somebody's going to be next, and it could be me. Father, we'd like to think that we have many, many more years to live, but none of us are guaranteed. And so, Father, may we determine today to start living for eternity. Maybe someone's in the room this morning, and they don't know you as their Savior. They don't know where they're going to spend all of eternity. And, Father, I pray that today, before they leave, they would come and find salvation, find the peace that comes when our sins are forgiven and when we accept that free gift that you've offered to us of eternal life. For the believers in the room, Lord, whether we're older or younger or in between or where we are, Lord, you've left us here for a purpose, for a reason. You've given us an opportunity to live, Lord, our lives not for things that are just trivial and temporal and things that don't matter, but to live our lives for things that outlast us. So, Father, may we love you and love your word and love lost people and father may we this week walk with you and work for you and seek to win lost souls and may we this week father not allow the things of earth to so so uh, still our attention and our time and our affection that we choose not to set aside purposeful time to live for eternity father may you grip our hearts with this idea that we're going to live somewhere forever and we but just a few moments god literally a few moments to invest in that Help us not to waste what you've given us. I wonder, heads are bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, church. Would there be one who say, you know, preacher, you don't know me, but I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Whether you've been in church your whole life, it's your first time, or you've been in church just a few weeks, it really doesn't matter. If you say this morning, I, I, don't, I don't have peace in my heart that I'm going to spend all of eternity in heaven. And that bothers me. I want to get that settled. I want to do something about it. But as I sit here, preacher, honest before you and a holy God, I do not know that I'm saved. I do not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm not sure this morning that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Preacher, would you just pray for me? I cannot tell you I won't call you out or come to you or embarrass you in any way, but would you at least allow me to pray for you this morning? Anyone like that, and you just raise a hand this morning and say, that is my heart. I don't know I'm saved. Anyone at all would slip a hand up this morning and say, preacher, pray for me. God bless you, ma'am. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Anyone else this morning who'd say, that's my heart this morning. If I'm just honest, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't know I'm going to heaven. Anyone else this morning? Can I encourage you? God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. Two ladies this morning. Anyone else this morning? I'm not going to wait long. I'm not here to push you or try to bribe you, but this morning I do want It's the most important thing you'll ever settle. Can I encourage you this morning, ladies, that you can know you're going to go to heaven, that Jesus Christ can save you today, and you can walk out of this room with a peace in your heart that I can't even explain. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you this morning, whether they're in your seat or you want to come talk to someone this morning at an altar, a lady sitting down with a Bible with you, we'd love to do that. But right there, even in your seat, if you'll call upon God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't get to heaven alone, but I believe in you and I put my faith and trust in you and I want you to save me, God will save you and he'll save you now. And then how many Christians in the room would say, you know, Ethan, I want my life to count. I want to live for eternity. And God's speaking to me this morning about the things that I love. God's speaking to me this morning about the way I spend my time and, and how I've squandered my life. And I want to this morning choose to invest in things that are eternal. Choose to love things that are eternal. Choose not to waste my life, but to invest it. Church, if that's your heart this morning, would you tell God? In just a moment, we'll have a psalm, we'll have a time of invitation. If God's dealing with your heart, I encourage you to kneel before Him, whether it's at an altar or there in your seat, just sitting maybe as a couple even praying. There's nothing spooky about coming forward to an altar, but I do think there's something special about humbling yourself before a holy God. 
And if God's dealing with your heart this morning, would you tell him, God, I want to live for eternity. God, forgive me for the mistakes I've made. But God, from this day forward, I want to, I want to live a life that counts. And if you're not saved, would you come forward this morning as the song is sung? And, and just a moment as we stand, if you come forward and you need to talk to someone, we'll have a lady sit down and talk with you about how you can know Jesus. As I said, if you want to be saved right there, you can this morning. As God does business with our heart. You, you, you allow him to do his work. Let's stand together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, church. Let's stand together. The piano's going to play. The song's going to be sung. If you need to do business with God, this is the time that we do it. Whether it's in your chair there or you want to come to, a, to, to the steps here at the front and kneel, make an altar with God and do business with him. If you need to be saved, if you'd please come, we, we'd love to sit and talk with you about how to be saved. Or right there in your place, you can ask God to save you. If you do that, please let someone know. Let's do business with God as the song is sung this morning.